0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, hispanicmpr.com. This is Elena Delval and my guest is John Baker, who is creator of the Asking Formula. Today we will discuss how to ask for what you want. John is a former senior executive and sales staff of American Express and Ameriprise Financial, and a consultant. After spending several years studying the fears and trepidations of people demonstrated in situations across the spectrum of human interactions, he concluded that many people do not know the best way to get what they want. He documented the simplest tactics and strategies that he observed in people who were getting exactly what they were after. John conceived of a process, an uncomplicated, easy-to-repeat formula, Six Straightforward, Adaptable Steps to Achieve What He Believes is the Most Compelling, Confident, and Effective Way to Ask for What You Want. He applied it in his own leadership and has taught it to many leaders and sales professionals in the country. He can be found at theaskingformula.com. John, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This seems like such a basic idea. You have a need, you have something that you want or need for your business, and you just ask the question. But obviously, there's a lot more to it. What was this process like that drove you to this six-step process that you now have? How did you get there?
1: It does seem very basic, um, but it's also something that we, as human beings, struggle greatly with. It all started, for me, when my son and I had a conversation about his homework. And he brought it home. Um, and if, if your parents, uh, you know that at some point in your life you meet your homework Waterloo, the, the time where your your child brings home something from school that you no longer understand. And for me, it was ninth grade geometry. And Jack brought this homework home and and uh, began asking me questions about it. Uh, it was late in the day. There was a lot of frustration. And I looked at him and I said, Jack didn't the teacher talk about this during the day? Didn't she cover this? And and he said, yeah, but she went really fast, and and, um, she didn't take any questions because she had so much to cover, and she asked us to hold the questions until the end of class, and nobody understood it, Dad. Nobody really got what she was talking about. And I said, oh, okay, well, did anybody ask any questions at the end of class? And he said, Well, no, because we ran out of time and the bell rang and we all had to leave for our next class, so nobody had a chance to ask any questions, but she said as we were walking out the the door that if we wanted more support or help, we could come in after school and get it. And so I asked him, well, did you ask for help after school? And he replied, as most of the audience would probably assume as a teenager, he said, no, I didn't go in after school because obviously... That was after school, so it, it began appearing to me that I was more concerned with Jack's inability or unwillingness to ask for what he wanted than I was that he'd ever use ninth grade geometry in his life, and at the time I was running a fairly large sales organization for a company called American Express, and, and I was running a lot of projects uh, for that organization and I would go uh, to work and I would sit through endless PowerPoint meetings where I'd scratch my head and I'd ask myself, what is it that these people want? Why am I sitting here hour after hour getting slide after slide? How come they can't get to the point? i had have salespeople who would go out and be Ineffective at simply asking their prospect or their client directly for the business. They were highly reluctant to do that. I'd have emails that would go on and on with 50 or 60 different people copied uh, on the email and voicemail messages that would take up my entire voicemail system. And it became apparent to me anyway that we as, as people, as human beings, as we move through life, Are very poor at asking specifically, directly, uh, straightforwardly for what we want and that is a key skill that we have to have if we want to succeed.
0: For many people, I think that asking is showing weakness. Is that something that you found?
1: Well, there are many, many reasons we don't ask, but the, the asking formula begins with a very straightforward premise, and it's the first axiom of the asking formula we have to understand, and that is, you may get what you ask for, but you will seldom get what you don't ask for. Now, think about this in your career and the way you've lived your life. Maybe there's been a time where a prospect called you out of the blue and said, you haven't asked for it, you haven't worked for it, you haven't really engaged me in a dialogue, but I'd like to give you some new business just because, and I've worked for 30 years and had uh, several different bosses and, and superiors, and they're all fantastic. But never once in that period of time did any one of them walk into my office and say, hey, just noticed that you needed a raise and, and, and you deserve a promotion. I mean, those things are things you have to ask for in order to get. As a matter of fact, not asking for what you want is a one-to-one correlation for not getting what you want. And we have to understand this intuitively, although it comes to us very easily, because if we don't get to that point, what we'll end up doing is constantly avoiding the ask, because what you mentioned before, we are reluctant to do things that make us feel uncomfortable, and asking, frankly, is one of those things that makes us feel uncomfortable.
0: How do we get around that?
1: Well, let's begin by talking about um, reasons why we don't ask. Now, the first thing that I do in my workshop is I'll put up a list of stuff and immediately out of somebody's mouth will come, well, we don't want to get no. Rejection is a very big barrier for us to be direct at asking for what we want, but there are other reasons as well. Um, there are reasons such as cultural reasons. I, I have people sometimes come up to me and say, you know, I was taught not to ask for what I want because, quite frankly, that was considered rude or abrasive or I didn't want to come off, um, negatively to my, my audience. The reason Jack didn't ask for what he wanted from his teacher wasn't because he was worried about getting a no, he was worried about being ridiculed. I mean, think about it, Elena, when you asked your teacher back in ninth grade, uh, Mrs. Stern, I have a question. One of the first things out of her mouth might have been, weren't you listening? Does anybody else not understand this other than Jack? Is Jack the only one who's not picking this up? So he, as an adolescent, obviously was very concerned with the ridicule factor of getting a no. And you know what, that doesn't change. Just because you move out of high school and you move out of adolescence, we're still concerned about that idea that we might be asking inappropriately. I kind of give a story sometimes about, there's one thing about asking somebody out on a date for Friday night. Let's say it's it's Mary Ellen, and there's, there's a reluctance to ask Mary Ellen because she could say no, but what's worse than no? She could say yes, but not with you. See, that ridicule part is really something that kind of gets us into the the zone of I'm not sure I want to give myself um, uh, this level of risk to ask for what I want. Now there's also one other very big driving force here and I want everybody to think about this. There's a part of your brain that's called the hypothalamus. Now we're familiar with this part of our brain. It's primal. It's one of the first parts of the brain that that we actually grew. Our ancestors needed this part of the brain because it was the part of the brain that gave us our fight or flight response to physical threat. We didn't have time in the olden days to Google saber tooth to find out what the risks were. We either had to fight or we had to fly. And the hypothalamus does that. Now, all of us are used to that to some extent. I uh, if you've ever had an adrenaline rush, for example, ever been in a close car accident which threatened your life, you know how tense your, your muscles actually tense up, your eyes dilate, your blood pressure goes off the charts, your heart beats higher, your palms sweat. And when that episode is over, it's literally like you have just carried rocks around all afternoon. Your muscles are sore, you get tired, you're exhausted, you kind of come off that high. Your system is full of cortisol and adrenaline and you, you kind of crash. That is all that hypothalamus working in your head. It, it, it doesn't allow you to sit there and ponder the risk. It, it makes you react to that risk. Um, the fear is still there. The The energy that you put into the idea of that threat is still there, but you're acting despite that energy, your body is moving forward despite that. Now that's the hypothalamus, and we're very familiar with that. Now, right next door to that is something a lot of people haven't heard. In the primal part of the brain is another part called the aqueductal gray. That's there as long as the hypothalamus has been there in our heads. What that does is the exact same thing that the hypothalamus does only it does it for social threats. You see, our ancestors were equally threatened by being kicked out of the tribe, or kicked off the, out of the cave, or having to move off the island. That was as threatening to their well-being as physical threats were. And so we have developed the hypoth uh, this um, this part of our brain that allows us to be, to respond very similar to the way fight or flight is on, on physical risk. When we are threatened with rejection, perceived, real, or whatever, we tense up our muscles, our palms sweat, our eyes dilate, our heart beats, our blood pressure goes off the charts. This is a biological reaction, a biological resistance to putting ourselves out at the risk of a social rejection. So, how do you overcome that? Well, you know, quite frankly, when you stand before a, a house that's in a raging inferno, most of us would not like the idea of going into that house to put that fire out. But there are people who do that. The people that do that are the the, the trained firefighters that they have gone through the the skill building, the practice, the 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 scenarios. They're, there is much fear of that fire that we would have, they have, but they have been trained to deal with it, and they know the steps that they have to go through to keep themselves safe, to keep the team safe, and to get the fire out. Well, what, I've always, what I've come to the conclusion of, Elena, is that most people need that same structure when it comes to asking. We need to have something we can put into play on a routine practiced, consistent, repeatable basis, so that when we get into a situation where we're asking somebody for something that we want, that we're doing it in a way that we feel extremely comfortable, that it's almost a recipe, I call it the formula, the asking formula, where we put it forth, so that we're used to dealing with this asking behavior despite the fact that biologically, culturally, emotionally, a lot of things are working against us, from an asking perspective. So I'm a big believer that you have to practice this. You have to get this into a format where you're willing and able and confident and self-assured that you're going to do it the right way. That gives you the sense that you can move forward and ask for what you want.
0: That sounds very easy. Just stand in front of the mirror and practice. But in fact, when you get in front of that audience that you were talking about, maybe in whether they're your peers at work or your classmates or an intimidating person, you freeze up or all of those other reactions that you described a moment ago. It's not as easy as we want to think it is. How do you go about practicing in a way that gets results?
1: Great question. I'm going to begin my answer by telling you about uh, what I teach uh, on communications. There is a continuum of influential continue uh, communication techniques that we use. How do we influence people through our communications? And your audience is filled with marketing folks and PR folks. They get this entirely. At one end of that continuum is something called information. We give people information about what we want. We give them a lot of data points. We give them facts and background. And, and we're hoping through giving information that they'll come around to the idea that we have. They'll come around to a decision that we want them to make, that they'll come around to our way of thinking. Why? Well, here's all the information and a sane and logical person would probably say, oh, the outcome of this is to have me hire your firm. On the far other end of the continuum, on the far other side is command. We are willing, we are able during our day to tell people specifically what it is we want them to do. We do this all the time. If you're a boss and somebody walks in the door, what do you want me to work on? You know, go, go work on the, the Simpson line of, of products. If you're a parent and you see your daughter playing out in the street, you don't inform her of the risk. You tell her to get out of the street. You command her to move out and play in the backyard. So command and inform are both equally um, common in our daily lives. Now, some are more common than others. I do a lot of work with the US military, for example, in helping returning veterans come back from the battlefield and adjust to domestic life. And one of the things that is very apparent is for the last year, the year of their deployment overseas, their entire communication structure has been a command command structure. They're either giving commands, for example, or they're receiving commands. Well, coming back into a domestic situation, that doesn't work so well when you start commanding people in your family to do things. They're not used to that, and that doesn't go over well. So while it's important in one stage of your life or in one section of your life, you have to move your communication style uh, to be more effective, you can't just use command or inform. Now, inform is the easiest thing to do because there's no uh, call to action. I don't have any skin in the game. I'm just giving you information. Command is the most profoundly powerful. If you can command somebody to do something, you should. If it's appropriate for you to do that, then command them to do it. Now, sitting in the middle of those two, if you will, those two ends of the spectrum, is this part called ask that ask part combines both information and command. It is emotional, it is risky, it it makes us worried because we're not used to doing it. We have to influence, We're we're at some exposure. So the first thing we have to do when we're in an asking situation, the first step of the asking formula is to know what you want. Write that down. Know what you want. This one step is probably the most common step that people forget to do. So I go out on a sales call and I have no real idea what I want to accomplish in that sales call. I might have many things I want to accomplish. I might have a general idea where I want to go, but that specific goal, I want a recommendation, I want to get to the finals, I want to go to the steering committee, I want to close, whatever that is, not having that means we typically won't get what we ask for. As a matter of fact, the first axiom, as I said a couple minutes ago, is you may get what you want, you may get what you ask for, but you certainly won't get what you don't ask for. The second axiom is not knowing specifically what you want before asking for what you want typically means you won't get what you want. I teach this over and over again. Every call, every presentation you make will either move the process forward or moves the process backwards. There is no status quo. If I go out and just wing it from my hip, which a lot of veteran people do, by the way, you get in this sales game for a long time, and we get lazy, so we instead of preparing we go out and say, I've done this a thousand times. I'll just wing it, I'll just use to force my personality during this meeting. Well, the problem with that is, um, you get out-hustled. The, the, your competition is in there specifically trying to get what they want, by defining what they want. And by the way, want one thing. There is power in defining one thing that you want. When you want multiple things in a situation, you're gonna get multiple outcomes. Now, I'm a big fan on Napoleon Hill. He's, he wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich, and the first concept he introduces is this concept of want one thing. Your focus on that thing, your focus on that outcome, lets you control the meeting. So if I walk in, knowing that I wanted to introduce you to my my, my product lines, Elena, and, and hopefully get an order from you, that's what I want. I am going to have my conversation scripted against that want so that I control the meeting. I don't have anyone else control the meeting. Now, there's some concepts about want. It's amazing to me when I talk about this, I'll get feedback and people go, what if you don't, you know, what happens if you don't know what you want? I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, there's a risk in, you know, do I really want this thing? Because if I ask for it and I get it, do I want it? Um, there's a there's the again the adolescent want, which is I want to ride to the mall, I want ten dollars for a sub, I want to pick up uh Sally on the way, and I want money for a movie, and by the way, can you um, make sure that you swing by and and uh pick us up at nine thirty? I mean that adolescent want where you've got so many things going on, you kind of lose track of exactly where the conversation is going. So want in, in and of itself is the first step. And here are, some, here are some things that I want you to think about when you talk about de- designing a wand for what you're asking for. The first thing is, does it matter? If you can't convince yourself, perhaps what you said, Elaine, standing before the mirror, that what you want matters, then I won't get that from you. I know it doesn't matter to you because you don't think it matters to yourself. Why does what you want matter? Why is that important? Write that down. The second thing is, does it matter now? Because, again, there's so much working against us in terms of being reluctant to ask for what we want, biological, emotional, physical, um, cultural, all those things working against us. If we don't think what we want matters and matters now, that will come out in our presentation. We will come off as lackluster in advocating for what we want. So knowing what you want is the first step of... Of, uh, the asking formula.
0: Having a single goal that matters now, you're saying is the first step in practicing asking for what you want.
1: Is Absolutely that right? right. Absolutely right. Matter of fact, when I ran my sales meetings, the first question I would ask my salesperson is, uh, well, I'd ask, who are you going to see this, uh, this week? Tell me your top three prospects. And the next thing out of my mouth was, what do you want from each one? And what I was listening for there, is a specific deliverable. So it wasn't, well, I want to go show them some of this news. You know, you know, you can do that online, you know, quite frankly, you can do that in a catalog. You can do that in email. You don't have to go out there to do the demonstration, the showing the, the information dumping. What do you want to accomplish is I want the next meeting. Uh, I want a longer meeting. I want a meeting with this individual's boss. Uh, I want a, a meeting um, with a committee that's making a decision about who to hire. Um, I want an order. I want a referral. I want an upsell. All those things are specific wants that matter and matter now. Yeah, I'm thinking about going out there and giving them some information. That's not going to give you the, the the self-confidence of asking for what you really desire.
0: Is there a way of asking for what you want, that is most likely to result in what you want. In other words, are there right ways to ask and ways that are not so good?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'll I'll tell you the way that most of us ask. And I call it the bad ask, which is a little pun. But nonetheless, how we generally ask in situations Uh, is instead of leading with what we want, asking for what we want, we lead with the easiest part of influential communication, the, the less, the least riskiest part, which is information. We start with information. So I come out to my prospects, or I go into my boss's office if I'm looking for more capital to spend on my project. Instead of asking for that, and I'll talk about how to, how to ask directly in a moment, I'll provide information. Why? Well, it, I, I really don't want to get a no, I don't want the sales process to end, I'm a little worried that perhaps I'm asking too early in the, in the process, maybe I'm asking too late. I, I just want to provide information so it becomes a very innocuous information exchange. But information will result in three outcomes, and, and only three, and two of them are horrible. The first thing that happens when we go in with information is our audience stops listening. Because they don't know what you want, you, they're not get, you're not getting to the point, they're multitasking, they've got too much to do, they're literally not listening to you. Now they physically, physically could still be in the same room, don't get me wrong, they might be sitting there and they might even give you eye contact, but they're on to the next thing, they're letting you kind of go through your information, because there's really no, nothing for them to hook that information to, so I've got other more important things to do. I used to call this, Elena, talking to the back of my head. To my staff, if they did get to the point right away, I might have been sitting there physically, but they needed to imagine me walking out of that conference room and them talking to the back of my head. That is what information can do when you lead with it. The second thing, which is not healthy, is information can lead to requests for more information. And you get into this horrible information loop where I went, I go out, I give some information, I do a demo, I don't really know what I want. So our, our, our audience is trying to figure this out. We're, we're asking them to be the Sherlock Holmes of our discussions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some clues about what I want. You gotta kinda piece them together, but they're not as good as Sherlock was, and so they're going to ask us more questions, and that leads to more information. And listen, I've had salespeople who needed to make quota, and I would stand before them, I'd say, What do you want with your next prospect? And they'd say, I want a sale. And they'd go out, and I'd say, Well, how'd that meeting go? And they'd say, well, It was great. They had a lot of questions. I gave them a lot of information. I didn't have all the answers they were looking for, so I, I said I'd come back later next month with more information for them. And you see that they're just in that loop. They're, they're, in the, in, they're not moving the process forward. They don't know what they want. They lead with information. There are two bad outcomes to that and they're what I call looping. I get this a lot when we role play and I'll ask people, okay, ask, you know, we'll put a scenario together and we'll ask somebody to ask something and they'll start looping right away. It's like, stop. You're already talking to the back of my head. Get to the point right away. I said there's three outcomes by leading with information. Two of them are bad. One is okay. One is I kind of follow what you're talking about, and I'm staying with you in your conversation. So in order to back up your information, you have to come with facts. So let me let me just give you a scenario. I might come to you and say, Did you realize that there's oh you know, child obesity is just off the charts these days and you know we're we're seeing more and more of this in our society and it's a really a bad thing. And the fact of the matter is we have this epidemic of child obesity because frankly, kids are just drinking too much high sugary, high sucrose soft drinks like they never have before. Well, that's a fact, Alina, but the fact of the matter is, there are more than one fact. So if you give me a fact that I might not agree with, or I'm less than comfortable with, or I'm not sure of, what that does is it tickles my my debate gene. You know, if you have in-laws, you know about debaters. I mean, you, you got people who just like to argue. And so my fact brings up your fact. You say, no, it's because they've cut PE classes out of the schools, or no, because kids are spending too much time on the sofa playing video games, and somebody else says no, because parents aren't getting their kids outside to do more chores. Everybody's got a fact. Now, instead of asking for what you want, getting to what you want, you're debating the facts. So facts can lead to three outcomes. Two are not good. I don't agree with your fact, I stopped listening. I don't agree with your fact, I wanna debate you and get more information and we'll loop. Neither one of those are good outcomes. Finally, outcome that you're looking for is, okay, I agree with your facts, now what? Well, now you gotta come in with reasons. Well, why am I here talking about this? I I, I wanna bring you up to speed on why that makes sense to you. Again, you're, you've got those three outcomes. One, I don't agree with your reasons. You've already lost me. I've stopped listening. Two, those reasons may or may, I may or may not agree with. Uh, you went somewhere I didn't think you would go, so now I'm trying to backpedal to catch up with you. Or three, you finally get me convinced that the reasons that you're bringing up these facts and giving me this background information make sense, and you finally get to your ask. That is a lot of work. That's what most people do. They lead with information and they get you into this badass cycle, which allows most outcomes to be negative outcomes. More information is not better. I had an English uh, professor in my college uh, experience that used to every day stand before the class and say, more is not better. And his whole point was if you can say it in 10 words, you probably can say it in seven words. Get to the point where busy people don't be a badass. When I do this exercise in front of groups, the people that just nod their heads off because they can see themselves doing this is amazing. I had, a, I had a, an extremely talented individual work for me uh, who I thought the world of. But when she left me a voicemail, I used to call it the 331 call. Because in the voicemail system that I used at the time, if you hit three three, it took you to the very end of the voicemail. And if you hit one, it brought you ten seconds back into the voicemail, where generally this person would get to her point. I used to call them three three one calls and they were just a little bit better than a three three seven call, which is three three gets the end of the call and seven erases it. But nonetheless, a 331 call is something we do all the time. We just dump, I have all this technology, I'm gonna dump information on you and hopefully you can pick up the pieces. So, the first rule of thumb, don't be a bad-ass. Don't lead with information. Be strong with what you want. Know what matters, know what matters now. And then specifically to your question, I'm gonna tell you the words you use to ask for what you want. And here they are. I am asking for Preface your ask by those words. I am asking for another meeting so I can introduce myself to the selection committee. I am asking for you to sign the purchase agreement today. I am asking for a 9% raise. I am asking for additional project money to accomplish our goals. I am asking for gets you out of the way of all your bad habits. It allows you to come in with a very strong, focused ask. It's the first thing out of your mouth and it ties directly to what you want. There's some subtle things here that happen with I am asking for. The first one is you're using the word ask and it's almost a magic word. If you will, it's like, Elena, can you help me? Help is another one of those words. We just automatically as an audience listen. Because you're asking, or you're you're appealing to something that's fundamentally human. Yeah, if I can't help you, I will. It's just who we are. Ask is very similar. I am asking. Says you have the power to give this to me, and I hope that you have the respect to listen to what I'm asking for. I am asking for also gets rid of all your bad habits. When we role play this again, you, you have people stand up and go. I know it's not right or the timing was wrong or, you know, you said to me a couple weeks ago that, you know, you're worried about, you know, all that is objections getting in the way of an ask. You begin by saying, I am asking for
0: John, for some people, coming right out with what they want is showing their cards right away, and it makes them feel uneasy. It makes them feel like they're giving their game away right at that point. And for some other people, they feel that that might be too aggressive. What would you say to those concerns?
1: Well, paradoxically, it's just the opposite. You come off as confident, You come off as productive. You come off as actually more professional when you ask specifically and directly for what you want. Now, your audience is very diverse, but I can tell you that your audience deals with people and the number one constraint of their clients and prospects is time. In this society, we all value time. And so getting out exactly what you want to accomplish, asking for it directly, Is a extremely differentiating skill that you can bring to bear. As a matter of fact, uh, I used to teach people that if they, I taught them, I teach them the fifty percent rule, which is if you get an hour with a prospect, you will prepare thirty minutes of material. Why thirty? Because if you can't get your point out in 30 minutes, you're not gonna make your point. And it will differentiate you from everybody else who brings in 90 or 120 minutes of material and squeezes it into an hour. Being specific is a big strength. Now getting back to my, my concept of using the words, I am asking for, the last thing I wanted to bring up was, notice how that sentence ends, I am asking for. It ends in a period, it doesn't end in a comma, it doesn't end in a question mark, it ends in a period, and that gets us back to that influential con- continuum uh, of communication where one side was information and the other side is command. We're actually, in our ask, by using the words, I am asking for, actually getting into a commanding style, a, a style of asking directly for what we want and getting the power of that command in there, but at the same time, we're just asking for what we want because we can't command it. It is a marvelous technique.
0: What should you expect at this point?
1: Well, every question can be answered in a yes or no. And what you may find is extreme, uh, to your extreme delight, that you get a lot of yeses right then. Uh, I know for a fact that if people would have just come out and asked me for what they wanted, most of the time I was in complete agreement. Um, they assumed I might not be, or I would have a lot of res- resistance or reluctance. But quite frankly, you get a yes uh, right off the bat. Now, the formula continues. The first step is know what you want, know what matters, know what matters now. Second step is ask for it. Use the words, I am asking for, directly into the point. Now there's a the next section of, of the formula that takes a little work. Asking is something you need to practice, it's something you need to hone your skill at. It's not something you just wing. This is a skill. People forget that. We think we ask all day long, so we're good at it. No, you're not. You actually have to practice it. The next step I call the inside-out step. Now, this has to do something in my book. I write about Warren the window washer, and Warren goes house to house looking to wash windows, and he's asking people, and he fails dramatically because at first he's looking from the outside of the house in. He's using reasons people should hire him from the outside perspective. Now, the metaphor is the window. The window is the same pane of glass, but it's important to take the perspective of the homeowner who's standing inside the house. Why does that homeowner want to give you what you want? Why would that homeowner want to give Warren what he wants in order for Warren to get a window washing business? That is a powerful thing. Inside-out perspective is the next step of the asking formula. You have to get in the brain of your prospect, your client, your boss, your contemporary, your teammate. Why would they want to give you what you're asking for? There may be a whole host of reasons for this. And there's a whole lot of work that goes on in this. This part of the discovery of talking to people, getting to know what pushes their buttons, getting to know what makes them tick. But essentially, the most powerful way to get what you want is to have the person you're talking to you tell you what they want, to give you a problem that they're trying to solve, an issue that they're trying to resolve, a pain point that they want to have go away that you can solve. So you're not selling them anything. The first step or the primary step, not the first, but the primary role of what you do is to try to find what I call the best reasons. I'm engaging people so I can hear what's on their mind, and then I reflect back to them that I can solve for what's, prob- what, what's being a problem for them with what I want to ask for. This, for example, would be, uh, I have a, a good buddy who sells Buicks, uh, and he sells Buicks, I like this example because mo- most people don't want to sell cars in their lives and if they want to sell cars, most people don't want to sell Buicks but he sells the heck out of Buicks. And what he'll do is when you walk onto his show lot, he doesn't ask you about your day, he asks you about your car. What are you driving? What do you like about it? Why are you in here? What are you looking for? How's your commute? How far do you drive? You know, uh, tell me what happens when it when it rains or it snows two inches. What happens to your commute then? What? Where do you park it? Who else drives the car? He's just engaging you in the number one subject that you like, which is yourself, and getting you giving him a sense of what really makes you tick when it comes to a car. By the end of this, he's got a list of things that are really driving you. None of them have anything to do with six cylinders or eight cylinders or, or satellite navigation system. All of it has to do with the emotion that you personally, you uniquely put into the situation of driving your car. And then he'll repeat that back to you. Now he might, he might actually get into your brain to the point where you're like, I had no idea. I actually shared that much information with him. Now, when you come up with these best reasons, I want you to have the discipline to pick the top three and only three. There may be dozens of reasons why somebody wants to give you what you want. When you go into a prospect, you might think you have the best technology, the most creative people. You might think you have the best project management. None of that matters unless they think it matters. So you've got to get into their skull and then pick the top three. Why three, Elena? Well, I'll tell you, it starts with grade school. Since the first time we cognitively started to learn, we were taught in a series of three. You didn't go to school and learn your ABCDs. You learn your ABCs, one, two, threes, do re, me's. You began packaging learning in a series of threes. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub, uh, Goldilocks and the three bears, the three musketeers, the three stooges. Three is all around us. We're used to that in terms of how we've learned in the past. We get three. The second reason you use just three is because three develops a pattern. We as human beings like patterns. We want to stay until we see a pattern emerge. If you go into four or five or six reasons, then you go back into that information loop that I talked about 10 minutes ago, where you're looping through too much information. I can see a pattern emerge in three reasons. I get it, you know, if I told you right now, Real estate is location, you'd funnel with location, location. Real estate is all about location, location, location. When people put their brands together, a lot of of your PR professionals will know this, it's not do it, it's just do it. That, That ability to see that pattern come through is extremely important. Let's leverage that when we're asking for what we want. Now the third reason why we pick three reasons to back up our ask is for what you're doing right now. You're waiting. You're anticipating. You want to see that third reason emerge. You didn't interrupt. You allowed me time to finish. You're letting me get to my my reasons. I told you I had three. Three is acceptable to me. I want to see where you're going with this. Three is a powerful concept. I. Way back when, I used to do some stand-up comedy, and comedians will write in this pattern of three. You know, uh, marriage has three rings to it, The, the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering, right? I mean, you give a pattern of three, and then, to be comedic, you break the pattern a little bit at the end so that people can see that you're going somewhere different than they anticipated, but it's the same thing. You're using that to your advantage. So... I stand before you and I say, Elena, I am asking for, there are many reasons why this makes sense, but three reasons come quickly to mind. And then you give you three best reasons. Now, ideally each and every one of those three best reasons have, have been told to me by you, Elena. I am asking for, there are many reasons why this makes sense, but three reasons come immediately to mind. During our first meeting, you told me that the most important part of your day is to ensure that deadlines get met. You said of all the other priorities, that was the one that drove you nuts. And you told me that it made your stomach acid just boil when people promise things they couldn't deliver. My firm has 100% delivery of program or project materials on an on-time, on-quality basis. That is a beautiful best reason. Not only did I tell you what you just told me was important to you, but I offered you a solution that I can bring to solve that stomach acid for you. If you did that three times, you have a winning asking formula. You have something where somebody's saying, I know what they want, they ask for it directly, and they're telling me almost in my head why I would want to give them what they're asking for. Now let's go back to my friend who sold Buicks. So at the end of that interaction that you would have with him, he hasn't talked about the mileage rate on the car. He hasn't talked about how many airbags there are. He hasn't talked about any of that because that's, those are reasons he has. That's the outside in perspective. He's trying to get your perspective. At the end of that, he would say something, something to you, such as this, I am asking for you to buy that new Park Avenue. Many reasons for this. I've only known you for about 15 minutes, but I can tell that this makes sense. When we first met, you told me that your commute was hell, that you came on after the commute, when you came home, your hair was on fire. You were so angry with traffic and with with snarls and the time it took you that you take an hour after you come home, you told me, just to decompress because of the traffic. That Park Avenue you will sit in longer than you sit in the easy chair in your den. It is designed for maximum comfort. And if your commute is an hour or two hours, it allows you that sense that you've earned this comfort. You also told me you park in the executive parking lot. The Park Avenue has been recognized year over year as as one of the most executive brands of autos up there with every other competitor that you could offer, you'll feel perfectly comfortable parking where you park at the office. And third, you told me you didn't want to spend the kind of money on a a foreign import luxury car. The Park Avenue was $15,000 less than the BMW or the comparable at Lexus. That's why I'm asking you to buy that Park Avenue. Now you see, I just went through a real quick scenario, but if you were standing before that Buick salesman, I didn't talk. I, I'm not worried about mileage. That never even entered my mind. I want a nice ride home that looks good where I park it, and I save a few bucks while I have to buy an import. Those are the three best reasons in that scenario. Makes sense.
0: What do you do, John, when... The person that is in charge of making that decision doesn't have a good reason to grant you your wish. There are situations where they may be in the deciding position, but they don't favor you or what you're asking for. There's no, there's nothing in it for them. Is there a technique to deal with that?
1: Well, um, I, I, let's start at the beginning of that question. If, in fact, what I want is for you to buy something from me, but you don't have the authority um, to do that, then my want has to change. I have to want you to introduce me to the person with that authority. So make sure your want is reasonable. If I walk into your office and I said, by God, I'm going to sell Elena this product today. And you looked at me and go, oh, my, you know, John, I'm so backed up with everything that's going on. I only have five minutes. Well, I don't sell anything in five minutes. I can't get anything for you to agree on in five minutes. So my my want changes to, great, I want more time with Elena later this week so I can present what I want. Now if somebody actually, you know the hard and, uh, the tough response to your answer is if you can't figure out why somebody would want you to get what you want, you're not gonna get it. That's a no. If I can't figure out what's in it for you to grant me my request, I won't get that request. We're all big boys and girls. Not everything fits to everybody. If, if, if I used to deal with brands that had a, had a stigma. And so somebody would say, well, we're not going to do business with you because five or 10 years ago, this happened and that happened. You know what? You've just done all you can do to establish a situation where you're putting an ask forward. You're going to get a no sometime. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the conversation. It just means at that moment you're getting a no. A no can be very powerful. There's two ways of thinking about it. It's, it's either you stop talking or you continue talking. So in typical thing, what I try to do as, uh, get it after getting a no is I try to get it, what are the reasons for the no? Maybe, maybe I missed something. If you say, well, you know, we told you price was number one. We told you price was number two. We told you price was number three. Then you guys are the highest price vendor. All right, well, if I can't convince you of my value despite price, I won't win that deal anyway. Now I had a situation in my career several years ago where this exact thing happened. I I had a wholesaler who sold 24 units for me, a big ticket item purchase, I mean $200 million type sales numbers. And this wholesaler went out there and just busted it. And of course I took him out to lunch and I wanted to thank him. I wanted to ask him for more next year obviously and I also wanted to say what's your what's your secret what's your technique because nobody else is even coming close to your level of production. The first thing out of his mouth was John, it's been a great year. I just want to let you know that I'm not going to sell any more of your product next year. And of course you know we hadn't even ordered uh, entrees yet or appetizers I mean it was the first thing out of his mouth and, and, and my whole idea, what this meeting would be, this lunch meeting would be about, was gone away. And of course, you want to kick your dog. You want to, you just want to scream to the heavens. But two things happened there because he gave me that no. The first one was I didn't spend the next six to nine months trying to get him to sell. He was direct and to the point, and he told me, in effect, the words were, I'm not going to sell anymore your product, but he was saying, don't waste your time trying to get me to sell because I won't do it. He actually freed me up. He gave me a resource back that I would have used on him, but because he was candid and straightforward, the healthy way of thinking about that is great, now I can go focus on other people and my time and energy on them to generate production. The second thing he gave me, which often times come of, comes out of a no, is he gave me a best reason. He says, I'm not gonna sell any anymore your product next year, John, because it is, I am so busy with the amount of uh, production I've made, I'll never have to cold call again. This has been a remarkable thing for my business. So right there, I got a best reason. So when I went out and stood in front of the next wholesaler, I said, you know, uh, Sally, you have told me in the past that you hate cold calling. It's the worst part of building your, your business. I have a way to show you how you can get out of the cold calling for the rest of your career. So a no necess- isn't necessarily a negative, although obviously when you work hard, you want to win. The comfort is, did you ask the right way? Did you know what you want? Did you Were you clear about asking for it? Did you come up with the three best reasons? And if they still come up with no, you know, you've done your job. You You've allowed yourself the maximum opportunity to win.
0: In these days of... Technology and technology centered living, social media, mobile devices, email. When we talk about asking correctly or the opposite of the bad ask, are you talking about a conversation in person? Does, do these techniques apply to a phone conversation or an email or a text?
1: They, they do, align a good question. I, there, there's a gr- that's a great question with, with a multi-layered answer. The, the first thing I would say is I'm deeply concerned that social media has taken us away from this idea of in-person power. Uh, I think meeting with somebody, talking to them, getting a sense of their humanness gives them a three-dimensional outlook that you can't get simply by liking them on Facebook. There is a tremendous need for young people to understand this, and I'm not trying to be pejorative to young people. I have two of them in my home right now. But they would much rather text somebody than phone somebody. They would much rather phone somebody than meet somebody. I think you're leaving a lot on the table if you want to win that way. Secondly, after I did a keynote speech one time, the the person following me on the podium was a social media guru. And to his point, he came to me and said, everything you've said, Everything you've just said, being direct to the point, knowing what you want, asking for it, backing up with three best reasons, is absolutely wrong because you never do that in social media. You, what you do is you build community and you build trust and you build this connection over time. And you know what? I heard what he had to say. I know about social media as well as the next person. But at some point, you have to ask for what you want. If you think it will just get done through osmosis, You'll be waiting a long time. Communities are driven together because they have a need. If you can solve for that need, you need to go solve for it. I have found that a lot of people think if I just throw my resume out there on Monsters, Inc., or if I just throw it out to my Facebook page, miraculously people will call me. Has that ever happened in the the history of hiring? No, you have to get on the phone or you have to go pound the payment and you have to get your face out there and learn what people want and what you can solve and provide to them. So I think there is some nuance there that, um, that, I, that I'm really intrigued by. I do think that there's power in asking directly. Now, the second question was, does this work for email? Absolutely. Um, like I said before, I've gotten so many emails that I don't even read because they're so lengthy. There's so many attachments. It's the and piece of the email. Your email should start with what you want in the subject line. Ask for it in your first sentence. Your next three paragraphs are your three best reasons. You close and you get your response. When you do a PowerPoint presentation. Your first slide, what do we want? Your second slide, why does it make sense for you to give it to us? Third slide, fourth slide, the same, and then you close. When I said you can do a 50% um, rule on your meetings with committees or senior leaders, I will tell you now, that's the format you wanna use. You wanna say, I know you have given us 60 minutes, thank you. We have prepared 30 minutes of comments. We'd like to get through that and then we'll open it up for questions. Their jaws will hit the table. I just did a consultant gig with a salesperson or a sales group that was going to sell a monster prospect. The monster prospect was so important to them that they had 120 slides. I was brought in because they were given, catch this, 20 minutes to present. So what do you think they did with those 120 slides? Do you think they edited them? No, they made the font smaller and they're gonna talk faster. That's impossible to do a professional job uh, in 20 minutes, you're what you want in that 20 minutes is to get the attention of your audience that you can solve their problems. If you can't do that in seven slides or less, then you're not you're not simplifying a complex issue. So I do think this is, you know, quite frankly, in voicemail, I would prefer to pick up the voicemail and have Elena say, John, I am calling because I need uh, OK on the uh, on the pricing for the ACME account than have you go through a ton of information that I have to listen to to finally get at what you want So this this does work multi-tiered answer First one is I think social media does kind of get in the way if you aren't careful you can you can divorce yourself from what's really influential but secondly you can use it to your advantage by using the formula in those types of mediums as well.
0: I'm going to go back to that relationship where the person, that you're approaching it might be in a slightly different position than perhaps in the traditional sales call that you've been describing and that for example might be the case when you're approaching a member of the media and you're trying to, as some people call it, pitch them for a story you want to get an interview, you want to be profiled you want to be the person that they talk to and you're maybe talking with someone that you haven't worked with before maybe the only access you have to them is through an email or social media, does this change the process?
1: Well, I, I think the process is all the same. If you're pitching me on someone, uh, I still want to know what's in it for me to, to to spend my time there. So if you're not in the if you're not in my head, so to speak, and let's say you've never talked to me, but you know your experience means something. I mean, if I walk into a big box retailer and I stand in the middle of their camera department and somebody comes up and says. Uh, Can I help you?" My first reaction is, I'm standing in the middle of your camera department, (laughs) you know, I mean, let's use some common sense here. I mean, how about walking up and saying, I see you're standing here. Are you interested in the DVD, or sorry, the the, the high-def video camera, the high-def camera, or a combination of the two? See, I'm using the three power of three. I think, you know, if, if you're pitching somebody, obviously your audience wants somebody new, exciting, charismatic, unique. Somebody who's topical. That's what you lead with. You don't lead with, hey, I got a guy who, who just wrote a book. He's really smart. Um, he wants to get his name out there. He's really, you know, paid us a lot of money to present his uh, public relations. We're really working hard for him. No. You would call me and say, I'm calling, I'm asking for your pitch. And this is, you've, you know, typically are looking for new things, people that are unique and topical and on point. We've got this guy. So again, you're using the technique, even though you've never talked to me, Gary never, or the the individual who sold Buicks, never talks to the people who walk onto his floor. He gets at that pretty quickly. I mean, he knows that there's emotional connections that people want solved.
0: Are there times when the formula isn't ideal? Are there situations where you would say, "Nah, you're better off just walking away, like you were saying earlier, when somebody just says to you right away, I'm not interested, are there times... When you just know off the bat, the asking formula is not a fit.
1: There are. I mean, you have to. There's an artfulness to asking. If I walk in and you're busy and you've got a a ton of things to do, and I think I'm going to go through the whole asking formula with you, that's not going to work. There's a reasonability measure here about asking, and that might get at our earlier comments about our, our, our 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 fear of being ridiculed. If I don't understand your needs, if I can't intuitively get what you want me to solve for you, it might not be reasonable for you to even ask. Now, I'm going to give you a personal example. When I do my workshops, I often get people who call me looking for coaching. Uh, And what really galls me, quite frankly, is they don't ask for that using the formula that they just sat through and they learned. So it, it does, obviously, there's learning here. You have to practice it. You have to be good at it. But the reasonability factor is they have no idea what's in it for me to help them achieve their goals. They haven't done the work to be reasonable. And if you can't, then going out to ask actually does come off as somewhat abrasive. It doesn't actually like, well, that's very, you know, upfront and that's very for- forward. And, and you get a sense that they haven't done the homework. Now, again, there are certain situations if you go out and you're, and history has shown that people like you, do these, or consumers like you, or my other customers who are very similar to you, do these types of things to their benefit. I can use that, of course. I can use your responses. Those are home run stuff. But when it gets into, boy, I just, I got a good vibe. We can work together. I, I really think this will work. Or, you know, I just have a feeling that this might happen. All of that makes, makes the situation very uncomfortable. Again, what I do is try to assess the person, if I walk in the door and I want to close the deal and, and the individual gives me five minutes, if I want to pitch somebody and the person is just brushing me off with short, very terse um sentences, you have to make a call there and adjust your style to the style of whom you're talking to. Um if I go in to somebody's office and say, oh my goodness, look at that trophy pike you have mounted on the wall, where'd you where'd you get that? And and the individual goes off on a story about his Canadian fishing trip, well, my style is going to be more storytelling and more delivery um, um, from a friendly point of view. If I walk in and I say the exact same thing and the person looks at his watch and and says, what what are you here for? Let's get to business. Now, I will immediately switch back into a style that's more directive and more uh, to the point. So there is some artfulness here that has to go on. You just don't Bust this out every time you see somebody new. I like to do the homework and if I feel I've done the homework on the three best reasons, uh, I feel good about doing it. I feel comfortable and confident that I can get what I want.
0: So don't divorce yourself from common sense and just start one, two, three.
1: No, well absolutely not. I mean your experience, that's why, that's why we have experience, right? I mean, the formula is there because we can, we can package that experience up into a very forceful way of asking. But your experience means you've gone through this before. Read the telltale signs, the body language, which, by the way, is another advantage of meeting in person. Read the tone of the voice. Read the clipness of their, the, their, um, their pacing of when they talk or they, are they shutting you down or they open up. Um, and then, you know, here's the rule of thumb. For every question you ask of me as of my prospect, I ask two to three back to you. I want to get you talking. If you're not willing to do that, that's an indication to me maybe I have to reassess the timing or the purpose of my meeting. But I am I am absolutely not trying to sell you anything when I put together my formula. I am trying to get you to the three best reasons. I want to just listen and listen until I have those in my head so that I can be the best at making that happen.
0: What three tips... John, would you share with our listeners that they can take back to their work, to their projects, to their office, and get started with this concept of relearning or rethinking the asking process so that they get what they want?
1: Well, certainly, um, I'm going I'm to rip through three, but in review of what I said, this is, a, this is a, a skill that can be practiced. So if nothing else, thinking about how you go forth in a practice, practice, methodical, repeatable, consistent way. If that's what you take out of this, wonderful. Because I think far too often we just think asking is something that just comes naturally. But here are three really cool tips I want to leave with your readers or your listeners. First is when you can show what you're asking for, it makes it 10 times easier. If I can show you visually what I'm asking for, our listeners get to the point very, very quickly. Um, So if I have an author I'm representing and I show the cover or the book that he's just released, I get quickly what you're talking about. I was just in uh, um, a big warehouse store and I was walking up to the front of the store to, to check out. Somebody stopped me. And he said, you know, before you stand in line to check out, would you like to learn how to save $50 on your next cable bill? And of course, Elaine, I've been writing a book and lecturing about this. So, you know, I thought, well, that's not a bad ask. I mean, he was to the point, point, didn't mess my, around my time. But I also thought if he really wanted to be good, he'd hold up a $50 bill. Because my eyes would immediately go to the $50. Bucks and I'd say, ah, now I understand what's in it for me. So tip number one is when you can... Show your audience what you're asking for. The second big tip is know what you want. Ask directly for it. Back it up with the three best reasons and tell your audience I have three reasons so they know that you're, you're going, you're going to present three, not thirteen. The next step, the hint that I want to give you is stop talking. I can't tell you how many sales have been lost with people who do not know how to stop talking and start, stop jabbering and just be quiet and let the ask work. Now the great way to do this is simply to repeat what you asked for. I am asking for, there are many reasons this makes sense. The three one, the three reasons that come top to mind are reason one, reason two, reason three, That's why I'm asking for. And then you zip it, you be quiet. You, as my daughter would say, you shut the front door. You let them respond because you can't get a yes unless you stop talking. So that's hit number two. And then hit number three is people go, well, what about all the detail and the facts and the specs and the parameters and all this stuff that we have, the information we have? Absolutely you have that. You have that in your back pocket. You don't go there unless your audience wants you to go there, but of course you've done your homework. If somebody were to bring up uh, a question about a certain specific thing, you have it, but you don't bring it up first because that's a bad ask. You have it in your back pocket, so if somebody asks you about it, you can prove that your best reasons are in fact sound, and then you bring them back up to your best reasons and your ask. That's why we're so enthused about working with you because we can get this done. You don't stay down there. You don't wallow down there in the detail. Bring it back up in your, uh, think of it as a PowerPoint that has seven slides and as many appendix slides as you want that you hope never to show. Think of it as an email that has three paragraphs and as many attachments that you hope nobody has to look at. Think of an ask that could go on for an hour and a half, but you never hope to get there because your ask is so strong, they give you a yes right up front but you're deep in your knowledge and and stats in case they want to go there. So those would be my tips that i leave your listeners with. I think they'll find those to be tremendously helpful in getting what they want.
0: Very quickly, to summarize, if I understood correctly, show visually what it is that you're asking for, know what you want and have three reasons to back it up, stop talking so that people can give you that yes, and have proof as a backup. Perfect. Thank you, John, for joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota.
1: Thank you for having me on, and best wishes and best asking.
0: And to our audience, thank you for listening to John Baker, who is creator of The Asking Formula, who discussed how to ask for what you want. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the hispanicmpr.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.